0: Return to Hebrews chapter seven beginning at verse twenty. Hebrews seven twenty through verse twenty eight. And inasmuch as not without note the double negative and inasmuch as not without an oath. He, Jesus, was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this or this one with an oath, by Him, capital H, God the Father, that said unto Him, capital H, God the Son, the Lord swear and will not repent, Thou art a priest forever, After the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, or this one, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them for such an high priest became us who is holy harmless undefiled separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once, when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Father, thank you for a compelling text of Scripture with a certain level of rationale and logic back and forth between Old Testament priest and the blessed priest above all priests, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to enter into the rationale of it. Help us to enter into his blessing. Help us to appropriate the truth of it as it relates to the practical challenge of living Christ this week before us. And for that, we'll praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Boxer Roberto Duran, you know what he's famous for? He's famous for saying, no mas. Spanish for, no more. It was November of 1980 when former Olympic Olympic, boxing champ Sugar Ray Leonard boxed against Roberto Duran for the World Championship. In the eighth round, after a grueling toe-to-toe battle in the ring, Duran turned deliberately away from Leonard to face the referee in charge and quit by saying no mas or no more. Leonard was crowned once again, the world champ. My mind went to no mass and that fight back in 1980 after thinking about how a single word used in our text clearly indicates no mass. No mass, no mass. No mass, no, mass. no, mass, no The Bible word that destroys the Catholic practice of the Mass is found for the first time in Hebrews in relationship to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross at verse 27. Verse 27 says, "...who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice... First, for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he, Jesus, did, and here's the word once. Once. The very same declaration of the Lord's single sacrifice for sin at the cross will be repeated five more times as we work our way through Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10. Here's the first reference to once and an emphasis upon once, which makes it very clear it cannot be mass. No mass, no mass, no more death for sin. Death once and forever in Jesus Christ. Very clear. No crucifixes hanging in the front of a gospel-preaching church. Only symbols of an empty cross. Because in no way do we believe that Jesus must currently be dying because you indeed are currently sinning, as am I No need for the Lord to continue to die because you and I continue to sin. For what Jesus did in Calvary was once and for all. And you are covered all sins past, all sins current, and all sins future until Jesus comes again. That's kind of a glorious thing to think about. And it is a point of emphasis in this section of the Word of God. Nonetheless, we find support for this concept in both the writings of Peter and the writings of Paul, and they say it much more succinctly. I would guess you might like it better the way that Peter says it, or the way that Paul says it, because it doesn't have all this back and forth of contrast between the priest and the high priest and the Aaron and the law and uh, Christ and Melchizedek. Uh, there's not all that detail involved. But here's the whole point as Peter summarizes the truth of Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10. Here's the truth of it from Peter. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3, 18. There's the whole thing. There's the whole thing. Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10. There's the whole thing in just one sentence from Peter. And Paul does about the same thing. Paul says it this way. For in that He died, He died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And we would say forever. Romans six ten. So both Peter and Paul cover the entirety of Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10 in those single sentences. And that's why I say you might better like Peter and Paul uh, than the uh, great detail of which we work through here in Hebrews. And yet it is in the detail that we discern uh, some of the blessedness and get a sense of the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of Christ uh, wherewith we've been loved of God. And so, by no means, should we want all sermons to be quick, although I can see in your eyes that you do have your limits. Please observe that the very first word of our text today is the word and. Verse 20, and in as much. And also note the word wherefore at verse 25. Both of these words remind us of continuing logic and presentation to be applied. It's important that we do not lose sight of the big picture here as seen last time in verse 19. What is all of this all about? And the answer is by the which We draw nigh unto God. Verse 19. We are ultimately talking about drawing near to God. We are expanding upon the blessed truth that we are able to come directly to God through Jesus Christ as stated again at verse 25. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them, or we would say for us. In the remainder of this seventh chapter, you have emphasis upon the surety of Christ You have emphasis upon the viability of Christ, and you have emphasis upon the suitability of the ascended Christ as brought to bear in relationship to our uh, uh, engagement with God. And so that will be the focus of our attention as we zip the list of those three points of emphasis from 20 to 28 this morning. We begin with the surety. Of the Lord as presented in verses 20 to 22, and then summarized at the end in verse 28. 20 to 22, and as much as not without an oath Jesus was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this one, or this man, with an oath, by God the Father that said unto God the Son, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, by so much was Jesus made a surety. What are we talking about? We're talking about Christ, the surety. The surety of Christ, as presented in 20, 21, 22, and then again at verse 28. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh a son who is consecrated forevermore. The promise or oath made concerning our great high priest has eternal ramifications. The text points out that uh, God never promised the sons of Aaron an eternal priesthood. But in fact, the oath made to Jesus Christ prior to his earthly sojourn as recorded in Psalm one hundred ten is concerning His eternal priesthood. God not only swore to it to be true, but in fact, He cannot repent of it or change His mind, as verse 21 says. This oath was made in relationship to human history after the law. That's a very interesting uh, comment at verse 28. It says... Uh, uh, men, high priests in the Old Testament variety, have infirmity, have weakness. We'll get back to that. But the word of the oath, Psalm 110, Thou art a priest forever uh, after the order of Melchizedek, that oath, God the Father to God the Son, it says, which was since the law, or made after the law. That is a very interesting phrase to consider in relationship to time, Why? Because it's saying that the promise of God the Father to God the Son was made after the law had been given to men. Or at least the record of it after the time when God had given the law to men. And so it it, it makes you think, well, well, let me see here. Where where do we find that reference uh, uh, that Christ is made a high priest after the Order of Melchizedek. Do we find it in Genesis? No. Do we find it in the Torah? No. Do we find it in the early historical books? No. Do we find it in the political books? Yes. Where do we find it? Psalm 110. And so at what point in time in biblical uh, revelatory history do we have the promise, the record of heaven's communication, God the Father to God the Son, concerning the fact that God the Son is going to be made of an oath, after the order of Melchizedek. Well, we have it in Psalm 110. Psalm 110, which was written long after God gave the law. And that simple recognition of biblical history is acknowledged by the writer of Hebrews. And it's kind of a phenomenal, interesting thing when you stop to think about it in relationship to time. But nonetheless, that oath, that Melchizedekian oath, appoints the son as the eternal high priest. And the word surety, of which we've played off in verse 22, is used in the legal sense of a sponsor or a co Jesus Christ has become the sponsor. He has become the surety of this superior covenant made by God as recorded in Psalm 110. The men made priests under the law, according to verse 28, they had physical and spiritual infirmities, or weaknesses and frailties in themselves. They were indeed sinners themselves. And therefore, when they approached God, uh, they had to first deal with their own sinfulness, and then they had to deal with the sinfulness of the congregation. But when Jesus deals with us, he doesn't have any sins of his own. And so he doesn't have to do anything in relationship to himself in relationship to God the Father. And thereby he can get directly involved in the aspect of dealing with our standing, our relationship with God the Father uh, as it relates to the aspect of our sins for which he paid in his single sacrifice. His single sacrifice. It is therefore becoming more clear as to why it is so important that Christ be high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He stands before God as our high priest and forever and forever. The surety of the Lord is presented in those verses To take our minds directly to the effective ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That introduces us in 23 to 25, the viability of the Lord, which is presented beginning at 23. And they truly who were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. That's a funny way to say it. That's a funny way to say it. We had... uh, a family that stopped by the church yesterday, they were just passing through. I think the truth of the matter is they just wanted to use the bathroom and believe me, I was happy to let them when anybody wants to stop and use the rest of them i 'm happy to let them I, I really am i wouldn 't care to have anybody be continued in pain, uh, but I think the only reason they really the only reason they stopped by uh, the church, I think was just to use the bathroom, but nonetheless, uh, I heard voices, and so I came out of the office yesterday and uh, and I greeted them, and we talked a little bit and uh, whenever I talk to people that i don 't know. Uh, I always, uh, I always uh, uh, go off on the thing, yeah, this church right here has been here a long time. We were an active congregation before Abraham Lincoln was the president. That's one of my go-to statements that I use when talking to people and introducing them to the aspect of our church. Long, long time uh, this church has, has been around and, uh, and preaching, as it were, uh, the gospel of Christ. And so I utilize that uh, to speak to people. Uh, that uh, I I am trying to find out where they're coming from and what they're doing and and see if there's any purpose in their being here besides the restroom. There wasn't, so uh, we didn't talk long. But nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, uh, one of the other things that uh, uh, sometimes after I say that, uh, people will ask the question, so how many churches, uh, how many pastors, rather, has the church had over those years? And... uh, and uh, a lot of times I said, I don't remember. Because most of the time I don't remember. I've looked it up two or three times, but it's such an important number to me. I keep forgetting what the number is. But, uh, but there's a reason why churches that have been around a long time have a number of pastors. And it's not just because pastors want to go, and it's not just because people want them to go. But uh, i tell you a funny thing about pastors, and that is they die. Here's one sure way to end pastoral ministry. Kick the bucket! You're done, you're dead. And guess what? Once you're dead, you can't be the pastor. Did you know that? Did you know once you're dead, you cannot be the pastor? Well, that's not just my logic. That is actually what the Bible says. 23 says, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. What happened to those guys? They kept dying. They had to keep having another one and 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 another one. one. Why? Because everybody dies. Everybody dies. You too, me too. Everybody dies. And yet the logic of the passage, as it relates to the Lord's viability, which is the point of stressing for our spiritual admonition and blessing, is that the Lord's eternal viability, according to the oath of promise, means that he has an eternal, ongoing, continual, unchangeable ministry on our behalf. His ministry is described in verse 24 as indeed unchangeable. But this man, because he continueth ever, he never dies... Because of that, he has an unchangeable priesthood. You never have to worry about going to God the Father in the name of God the Son and God the Father saying, who? Oh, he's the old Savior. Oh, he's the one you used to pray to. He's the one you used to name. He's the one you used to uh, uh, work with. But, But now there's somebody else. Never. Never. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he continueth. Not only is his viability forever, but his ministry is on changing in relationship to us. It results in a perpetual intercession for those who come to God through him. I tell you that verse 25 ought to be a part of every one of our memory bank, and a number of people have memorized it, and many of them don't realize what it's actually saying. Let me give it to you. Wherefore, that word says some sense of rational logic is being concluded, he, in representation of God the Son, is able, two word choices in the Greek, one would mean uh, ability or capability and power. The other one would mean authority and permission. He, of course, has both. But this is the word for power. This is the word for capability. Wherefore, Jesus is capable also to save. You say, we've been singing that, saying that, preaching that for years. Yep, but you're not hearing it right yet. You're not hearing it quite yet. Right, in the way of this text. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. What does that mean? Well, back in chapter 6 and verse 1, the appeal was, let us go on to maturity. Let us go on to perfection. Let's not stay exactly where we are in regards to spiritual growth and development of the Lord, but let's go on to our appointed perfection in Christ. Let's get busy becoming what we are going to be. That is the appeal beginning at chapter 6 and verse 1. And that continues to be the appeal here. Now, here's what you're being told about Christ. Here's what you're being told about Christ. Here's what you're being told about Christ in Hebrews 7.25. He has the power to get that done. He has the power to save you as you were appointed by God in eternity past for eternity future. You will not be a disappointment to God. You cannot be a disappointment to God. Oh, you can today. By your lack of cooperation with him. But you are not destined to ever be a disappointment to God in the long run. For he will secure, and indeed has secured, in Jesus Christ, your full, perfect appointment. That's the kind of thing I get to think about all week long. Wow. What a stir of the heart and mind. What a blessing. What an encouragement. No wonder God's people sing things like, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We have one of us forever there who makes intercession for us in the context of praying It has also often intrigued me how often God's people desire others on earth to pray for them. Not a bad thing. We ought to pray one for another. We're commanded to pray one for another. And yet, as we read the scripture, we find out that there are at least two members of the triune Godhead that are ever praying for us. God above. God the Son ever continues making intercession for us according to the will of God. It is always the prayer of Christ for me, for you, that we would be becoming more and more and more of what we are going to be. And then furthermore, we have been given the endowment of the Holy Spirit who prays in uh, us with words that cannot be uttered But words that relate to the uniqueness of uh, his indwelling status within our dirty camp, within our dirty lives, within our dirty tent, and ever praying for us according to the will of God. And so we have one above us who ever prays for us, we have one within us who ever prays for us, and both of them pray perfectly according to the will of God, the Father. And really, when you and I pray, what we're trying to do is we're trying to join in the prayer request of the Son, pray, join in the prayer requests of the Holy Spirit concerning our lives. Realizing the fact that we are on our way to be just like Jesus. We are on our way to be just like the Lord Jesus. That is powerful encouragement. And, of course, then it underscores the truth that we say here at the last, the suitability of our Lord, which is uniquely described in verses 26 and 27. 26, for such an high priest became us. We don't talk like that. He became us. You mean he became a man? No. For such a high priest, a high priest of that perfect oath variety which is true of Jesus Christ is fitting for us or needful for us or appropriate for us or in our case and how is he fitting for us well he is holy how does that fit with me I'm unholy he is harmless how does that fit with me I'm harmful uh, he is I'm defiled. How does that fit with me and you? We are defiled. He is separate from sinners. How does that fit with you and me? We are sinners. He is made higher than the heavens. I can't even jump. So there are five unique descriptions of our high priest in verse twenty six that fivefold description all falls under the banner of he became us or he was Fitting for people such as we or me, you, us. The fivefold description of Christ works to convince us of the truth that He is exactly the kind of Savior we need. He is described as undefiled by sin, holy, holy, holy. He is described as without fraud or guilt. The word harmless means no fraud, no guilt. He is unsoiled. Number three, undefiled. Unsoiled. Number four, he is divorced from sinfulness. He cannot be associated as a sinner. The whole truth of the gospel is he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And here we're being told that uh, there is a unique sense in which he is separate or apart from uh, any element of sinfulness as sinners. Uh, Was he truly one of us? Yes. In what sense? Human. Was he one of us in the sense of sinful human? No. Ever. Not. Absolutely not. Is he one of us? Yes, human. Is he one of us in the sense of of sinner? No. And there are some stupid believers who have the idea that somehow that diminishes the value of Christ to us. Why, if Christ could uh, associate himself with our sin by being a sinner, he couldn't save us. Because he would have had sins of his own. He had no sins of his own. And on that basis, he can save us. And then you talk about ascended, made higher than the heavens. He's not just in the heavens. He's higher than the heavens. He's higher than the heavens. When it comes to drawing near to God, now don't forget, that is the topic here. When it comes to drawing near to God, our need is such that no cosmic superhero will do No Superman, Spider-Man, or a conglomerate of Incredibles can help us on with God. We need a very unique Savior. And we have a very unique Savior, the God-Man, Jesus Christ. Jesus can rescue us utterly. Jesus cannot rescue us Jesus will not rescue us just so we can get a heaven ticket and then live the life we want to according to the lust of our flesh and the ways of the world. He cannot and He will not save that way. He only saves utterly, He only saves completely. He only brings a person ultimately over the discourse of time to the moment of perfect before God the Father because of standing in God the Son. The act upon which this salvation is rendered is one time for all. Unlike the Old Testament system of sacrifice with as many thousands of animals slain, Christ died once for all. It is the quality of his death in contrast to the quantity of animal deaths that is called to testify in this seventh chapter of Hebrews. I just read again, in recent days, of Solomon's 22,000 bulls sacrificed and 120,000 sheep slaughtered in a single day as the temple was dedicated. Verse 27 confirms that Jesus, of his own volition, offered himself the one and final sacrifice for sin once. And for all, the way to God is open. The veil between God and man is torn top to bottom. One of the first truths that we instill into our young minds is this. We are weak, but he is strong. Verse 28 reminds us of the law itself. And the men who carried it out were also weak. They were also men of infirmity. But the sun is eternally strong. We, dear ones, are complete in him. Our children's class can easily assemble one of the 50-piece teaching puzzles that we possess in a matter of minutes. The last time I set out a 50-piece teaching puzzle for the children's class to do, uh, they had it done in exactly one minute and 41 seconds. I timed them. That was a terrible uh, waste of my time since I was hoping it'd take about 10 minutes. Uh, So last spring, to solve the problem of our children being so bright... In putting together the 50-piece puzzles last spring, I purchased a 1,000-piece ocean fish puzzle to work on week by week over the summer. We'll be working on it again tonight, but the class, as of tonight, is not close in completing that puzzle. We've worked on it a little bit every week all summer long And I'm still trying to decide whether we're just going to press on or whether we're going to abandon the project. We, as of this week, lose. Uh, After tonight's class, we lose our three older children to the teen class in the fall and their loss will be significant in light of putting that puzzle together. But nonetheless, I'm still working through that as to what would be the best thing to do for teaching purposes, just to up the hands and declare ourselves a failure and uh, teach on that or finish the puzzle and uh, in 1925 or 2025 and, <laughs> and, uh, and see what we can do. Here's the deal I want to get to. Far more complex than that 1,000-piece puzzle is the appointed pieces of your life in the will of God. You will never get it done. And some of you have been trying to force pieces for years. The puzzle of your earthly life cannot be completed by you alone nor can anyone on earth help you to be complete. But there is one in heaven who can complete your puzzle, the puzzle of your life in the will of God, to the very last piece. And that one is Jesus Christ the Lord. Thus, we spend our time talking about Christ, not only so that people will be saved, And know that if they should die, they would go to be with the Lord in heaven. Sure. But so that people would understand that only by Christ do you become the perfect you. That only in Christ do all the pieces of God's appointed puzzle come together complete. Christ can complete you to the very last piece, or as the Bible says it, utterly. Father, help us to be a responsive people this morning to the truth of the great work that you've begun and the great work that you do and the great work that you will finish in the coming day of Christ. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen.